Rather than relying on the government to step up, millennials are leading the charge and demanding that large corporations and their leaders play a meaningful role in creating positive social change. Add to that, 76% of investors also expect companies to take a stand on issues like the environment, gender equality, diversity and globalization, the CEO and social responsibility. That's what we're talking about in today's podcast. Today, our esteemed guest is Lenny Kama, chairman of the board and chief executive officer of Jack in the Box Incorporated, which operates or franchises more than 2,200 Jack in the Box restaurants in 21 states and Guam. Lenny, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your experiences as a CEO who believes social responsibility goes hand in hand with your organization's long-term financial success. Thanks for having me today. Welcome to all. I'm Kelly McCauley, producer of the Director's Cut podcast for Corporate Directors Forum and president of McCauley & Company, where we help good leaders become great through high-impact executive coaching and results-driven leadership programs. Before we dive in, here's important background to know on Mr. Kama's leadership journey. As chairman and CEO, Lenny leads 22,000 employees, the majority of whom are in the restaurant serving more than a half billion people annually. Before becoming chairman of the board and CEO, Lenny was president and chief operating officer. Mr. Kama also serves on the board of the Jack in the Box Foundation, which supports organizations that help children and at-risk youth. Investing in charities like No Kid Hungry, Big Brothers Big Sisters, March of Dimes, the YMCA, Junior Achievement, and Children's Hospital. So Lenny, there's a variety of ways that CEOs approach social issues on behalf of their organizations. What guidelines do you observe to be sure you're aligned with your jack-in-the-box stakeholders? Yeah, so I think the first thing that we do is take a step back and ask and answer the question, who are the stakeholders? And in our case, there are many, but the ones that we tend to focus on are the employees, the guests, the suppliers, the shareholders, and our franchisees. So when we take a look at that group of people, I want to start with uh, asking and evaluating an answer around whether or not all of the stakeholders benefit by the decision that we make. And we're always looking at that over the short term, uh, excuse me, the long term, because there are many things that we can do over the short term that can sort of bolster results. Um, but ultimately, if the consumer is moving in a certain direction, then you want to make sure that you're moving in concert with that or even potentially getting ahead of them so that the other stakeholders that are impacted by your ability to remain relevant to the consumer have a positive impact as well. And so when you look at social issues, I think that there are some folks who might look at it and say, look, this is a feel-good thing. It's the right thing to do. It um, maybe is a prevailing value system shift in the country or globally, and we need to just get aligned with it. And, and those are all great underlying things to feel and to know. But ultimately, when you really start to take action is when the consumer themselves start to influence business or outcomes based on those value systems. And so what we can see is that, you know, there are certain social issues uh, regarding, you know, what might be uh, the ingredients in the food or how do you treat employees and wages, uh, things around how inclusive and diverse is your workforce or your board of directors. Um, and even what is your company willing to stand for, stand behind when it comes to 
you know, equal opportunity or the uh, fair treatment of guests, employees, and others. And so when you look at all these social issues, you can, you can see them as oftentimes the right thing to do. But I think what you are able to see beyond that is that they're not just the right thing to do. They actually do um, change uh, for the good or, or the bad your, your business outcomes. And so it makes sense for you to fully evaluate you know, where the consumer is going, uh, how that is likely to impact your business, and then make those strategic decisions. You may not be able to, to make all of the changes overnight, but you know, it's my job and the executives of my company's job to make even future commitments that eventually get the company to a place that it would need to be. Well, and what's so impressive is that you guys have taken corporate social responsibility seriously for years. This is not a new thing for you. And you were on this very lively panel with uh, several other CEOs and board members and talking about, oh boy, it can get tricky. And so can you share a time when you or your jack-in-the-box team made a decision that was interpreted perhaps as dicey? And how were you able to navigate that potential firestorm? Yeah, absolutely. We, I once gave a speech at a at ICR conference. It's an investor conference where I shared that there were, you know, various pieces of equipment and technologies that we had tested in the past that were were great operationally, but they didn't work well economically. And I said we're likely to sort of retest some of those things to see if we can drive some efficiency into our business. One of the things we've used in the past are these kiosks that are in the restaurants so the, so the consumers can place their own orders. And I talked about various other pieces of equipment. Well, the headlines coming out of that said, comma plans to replace employees with robots. <laughs> and that's not, that's not what I said, um, nor, nor is it what I intended. But, but nonetheless, it's, uh, it's what was picked up on. And it, and it was, I think someone took an opportunity to try to politicize something because there, there was a lot going on in the media about the rise in wages was likely to, to you know, create a huge shift in automation. Right. Uh, and, and, and that automation would essentially, you know, decrease the number of jobs out there. Um, that isn't necessarily the outcome that I was talking about. We, uh, we need a certain number of employees to run a restaurant, keep it clean, make food. That isn't likely to change very much. But when you're able to find efficiencies through things like kiosks, you can deploy that labor differently and the labor deployment can potentially improve my speed of service, which actually improves my sales. So if I can take technology that can remove certain steps in our procedures and allow that, that resource to be redeployed to actually send more cars to the drive-through, for example, faster, that drives an economic outcome that's actually greater than what I would what I would save in labor if I was to simply eliminate an employee, right? So that's the 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 broader message and broader understanding that we have. But oftentimes people will sort of take uh, you know sound bites from you and then they'll interpret them in the way that really serves their purpose. And I think the the way to deal with that is you just have to be um, transparent and honest um, always, so that you're never in a position where you're trying to you know go back and remember, you know, how did I position that or how did I spin that? So I don't spin or position anything. I just say uh, <laughs> what is what is honest and, and, and what is from the heart. So when you see a headline like that, although it was disappointing, I know first and foremost that 
it would be impossible for anybody to actually prove that I said that or to quote me. And so now I can go about the work of, of you know, clarifying that communication and also pointing out what I actually said versus uh, what was politicized. And, you know, I don't, you have to have a thick skin in these jobs. And, you know, there's always going to be someone who is not happy with the decision that you make because that particular stakeholder wanted more from you and you had to balance out all of the stakeholders. And, you know, so I, I'm used to being unpopular when it's when it's <laughs> necessary and, and um, you know, it, it does, you know, at times lead to some stress and, um, you know, obviously I'd rather not go through that, but, you know, my job is to make what I think is the right decision for the company and I won't always get it right. But if it's coming from, you know, honest and true intentions, then I'm going to stand behind what I'm doing and the way that I'm doing it and, and then let the chips fall where they, where they may with, with folks who don't necessarily agree or may take things out of context. But, you know, it can get difficult when ultimately what people are looking for is either a fight or control or in some way they're looking to um, gain support for their own you know, position on something, and they're just using people who are figureheads and in leadership roles to sort of get what they want. And I think you just have to accept that when you take jobs like this, it comes with the party. So sometimes not even responding to those those sorts of things is a is the best response because it actually just share, helps people understand that it, it's it's almost in some cases not worth my time because the intentions from the other side were not true, sure. were not pure. It's, a, it's one of those unfortunate things that come along with social media. Absolutely. Um, just recently, I had someone post a very heinous uh, quote that I supposedly said. This was just a couple of weeks ago. And it was about Donald Trump and Donald Trump's wife. And, um, and it made a political statement about immigration and Mexicans and, and uh, in support of, of of you know immigration reform and and um, and then really saying some pretty ugly things about the president and 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 then they had my picture oh and my a quote gosh. that this came from me and this was this was all over social media and I supposedly was on a German radio station when I said this <laughs> um, and and Yikes. what's difficult is it you know it took us three weeks to get that taken down and um, the reason it took so long is because it's freedom of speech right it didn't matter whether it was accurate. Right. Um, what the websites are protecting is that someone has a right to say whatever they want, even if it isn't accurate. And the way we got it taken down is they used my image in association with it. And my, the image that they used was actually a copyrighted picture. And so that's how we had to get it taken down. But had they not put that picture there, I likely wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. And I just have to rest on the fact that, you know, the, the average individual, um, particularly an individual who knows me uh, would know that I wouldn't say something like that, but that's uh, a difficult position to be in. And you're constantly wrestling through how much energy do we put into, you know, clarification and truth versus just ignoring it because this is just the world that we're in. And that really circles back to your stakeholders and making sure that they're hearing the messages that are true. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and, you know, at times we can even deal with stakeholder groups who don't necessarily want to give you access 
to their entire constituency because they want to manipulate the truth, right? And so you're, you're always wrestling through, you need a lot of EQ and you need a lot of people around you with high EQ to sort of wrestle through these situations. Well, that's a great segue, you know, emotional intelligence, because you talked about when you were on the panel, how important it is to know your own values, but also to be connected with people at all levels of your organization. And you gave two examples that I was very impressed with. One was when you talked about women in leadership at Jack in the Box. So would you share kind of the journey of how you went from, hey, there's not as many as we'd like to it being at least 50-50 at the time you spoke. And yeah, absolutely. The so we, we um, so first off, we, we had a, an inclusion and diversity team. And at the time I was part of it and um, very typical of organizations there, they were looking for, you know, the right path forward in, in advancing inclusion and diversity efforts within the company. And in some ways, we're sort of getting ready to sign on to these these programs, I would just say. And, you know, as we met as a team, you know, having been through this in a former company, I said, you know, we don't need to sign up for programs. What we need to do is understand what our unique issues are and try to address the issues because programs are a way to mitigate risk. They're a way to check the box and put a shingle on the wall that says we did these training efforts. And so if something goes wrong, we hope to mitigate those risks because we've actually made efforts to eliminate these behaviors. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the company is going to be more effective. It doesn't mean that the, that leaders or employees are actually going to know how to be more inclusive, which right. leads to diversity of thought. Right. It just means that you went through the motions because you thought it was a risk management process. So what we had identified is in our um, engagement uh, surveys and, and in our assessments of our succession planning, somehow women at the manager level were not promoting out to the multi-unit manager level, the district manager level. And we were asking the question, you know, why is that happening? And we started interviewing and having focus groups with women. And, and essentially they said two things. What, you know, what we found out were that two things were happening. There was real male bias against women in the district manager job, whether the men would want to admit that or not. And there were women who were opting out of that role because they thought this is going to negatively impact my work-life balance, and I'm just not quite sure I can take on this responsibility. So when we started to, to peel back the layers, what we realized is on the bias side of things, you had interviews that were taking place that were essentially male district managers and or male region vice presidents who were simply selecting who would be the next district manager. And what you didn't have is a 360 degree view of all of the best talent in that region and an open process where the best talent could compete for the next open position and could meet with a panel of people who could more effectively judge that the readiness of that talent. It was very biased. And so we put panel interviews in place and that really started to open up some opportunities. But we started to see that there was still at times hesitation when someone we really wanted to take that next step up and they were going, you know, it's just not what I want to do. And so when we, again, peeled back those, those layers, what we found was that um, folks were just too concerned about how it would impact their lives, their family lives. And we actually spent time with their families talking about um, how this job actually is 
not much different from a from a, a number of hours worked and, and flexibility of hours from the manager job. And that started to open, you know, things up. But what I was super concerned about within all of these efforts was that the first recommendation that we got was to do something very programmatic, which was to go out to all of our leaders and essentially say publicly, we need to start advancing more female leaders into position. And the reason I was afraid of doing that and kind of creating almost what people would perceive to be as quotas is because what that would do is it would, it would create an uphill battle for every woman that was, that was promoted because people would automatically assume they were only promoted because they were a woman. But what our data showed us is that when we looked at performance throughout our organization, we had upwards of 80% plus of the high potential candidates were actually female managers. And wow. so not the, a surprise, of our, course, to me. Exactly. So arguably you should have had way more women making it to the district manager, you know, role and being promoted up. So I didn't want to create that situation for women when where we have this you know, quota thing, because here it is the most, the highest potential people would now be discounted as they took those jobs. So instead, behind the scenes, we addressed the panel interviews to remove bias, and we addressed the small group meetings with family members of these female, you know, general managers to help them understand that we would support work-life balance in this new role. And naturally, women just started getting promoted. Um, to the point where there's there's now more than 50% of our district managers are women. So I think you can get there, but when you try to get there in a way that's really all about risk management, I think you can make a lot of dumb decisions. And if if you're trying to get there in a way that's really about effectiveness, then really take the time to step back and say, you know, from an EQ perspective, what situation are we setting up for these employees? You know, and this this goes back to affirmative action, right? It's like it's like a dirty, you know, couple of words now, affirmative action, because nobody wants to feel like they just got the job because they're a female or minority of some sort. And I certainly don't want other folks in an organization believing that, particularly that it is not true. You know, and so now here's this person that should be valued and included and has something to offer. And you're thinking, nope, they, they're just there because they're a, a woman or African-American or whatever. And so they never get a fair, you know, and full and complete seat at the table. That real difficult, you know, uh, position to be in. So those are some of the sensitivities about how we address that at the time. And I think that's the way to go about it is to really evaluate your individual business situation and really ask and answer what's the right solution for our problem versus something that's just programmatic or broad brush that you're going to swipe across this organization that might not actually serve our purpose. Sure. And I love the fact that you didn't just rubber stamp, hey, this is what everybody else is doing. And the proof is the fact that you have so many successful female leaders. So it actually worked. Whereas, you know, I do a lot of work in the financial services industry and for 30 years they've been doing the, oh, every 10 years it's time to talk about getting more women into the industry and helping them be successful. And the women that go into the programs are embarrassed and the guys are like, she got into it because she's a woman. So it's really a recipe for non-movement at all. And as a matter of fact, for 30 years, the financial services industry in particular, the life insurance industry, 
is dismal at having women go into the advisory field. It's like at 7%. And they're such naturals because it's about collaborative solutions. And women are head of household in many families or shifting to more equal in terms of pay, et cetera. So I love how you did a deep dive into how can we really make this successful and work and accomplish what we're looking to accomplish versus well, this would be nice to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'd say, you know, how that's evolved and the types of things that we do, like we have a women's leadership group at Jack in a Box and the, the individuals who created that were, were female executives who took it upon themselves to start to put together programs where women and men could come together and address these issues and educate themselves. And it was, it's very inclusive in the way that it was created, but it was also very organic. And what, you know, what we try to do is like, look, if there's, if we're identifying issues within the company and those, those issues need to be addressed and, or we just want to be proactive about something. My belief is that those things are best done organically, but with executive sponsorship. So I would much rather have passionate female executives really, you know, take, take the bull by the horns, carry the torch on behalf of the organization, and then get folks like me and others to fully sponsor and support those activities than for me to try to tell those individuals what to do. And so I think you get far more participation, more inclusion, when you allow these things that sort of happen more organically. And look, at times you might even be a catalyst for it. You might say, hey, look, I'm willing to give you some resources if you're interested in pursuing some of the things I've heard you talk about. Oh, really? Okay, well, I'm going to do those things and I'm gonna knock on your door and ask for some resources. No problem, I'm here for you, right? It's like, I'd much rather that happen that way than for it to be top-down, you know, initiatives because top-down initiatives create a different dynamic where now people are trying to satisfy executives instead of trying to advance the employees or the company. Yeah. And that's the, again, from an EQ perspective, I don't want people reporting back to me on, you know, did they meet their women's leadership metrics for the quarter? You know, at the end of the day, that's not what this was about, right? This, this was about education and growth and inclusion and creating a better understanding of the issues that can take place in the workplace also addressing the issues of just simply peer-to-peer development and mentorship and those types of things. Okay, great. So let's get after it, right? But you're not serving me as the leader in doing that. We're serving the organization and we're serving specific groups within the organization that need this support. It's not about me, so don't make it about me. But if it comes from the top, a lot of initiatives that come to the, from the top become about the people at the top. And that I think is fundamentally the wrong approach. Yeah, and when the people at the stop at the top stop paying attention to it, it disappears and goes back That's to right. what it was before. So I want you to share your. I go down to the cafeteria, turn around, look behind me, see there's ten people there, and say I'm buying you lunch, but on these conditions. <laughs> yeah, so I started doing this when I became CEO, where I'll get in line. Might be breakfast, might be lunch. Usually lunch. And there'll be a handful of people behind me and I'll basically say, 
you know, hey, I'm buying all of you lunch. Whoever's in line at the time, I'll, I'll, you know, put the card down and, and I'll, hey, come on up, tell me what you want. And I'll say, but stop by my table, hang out, have lunch with me, tell me what's on your mind. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, I'll get a small group of people or at least one or two people that'll spend the entire lunch with me and just talk about what's going on in their jobs, what's, what's going on in the company, how they feel about things. You get more insight around what's happening through that sort of lunch conversation, that informal check-in, and oftentimes with people who you, you had never spent that type of quality time with before, um, that helps you understand how effective your leaders are leading, communicating, what the tone is, uh, how, how engaged people are, and it really does give you a feel for you know, where the organization is. And, and so I think oftentimes what leaders do is they just get trapped between their offices and the senior team or their peers. They're, it's all about doing work and they're trapped in those environments doing that work. But when you step out from that, I call it uh, putting your tentacles out, but when you kind of get your tentacles out there to deeper, wider places throughout the organization and touch more people, what you find is those folks, not only in those moments, but in many future moments, are willing to come tell you things because they trust you. They trust the way you'll receive it. You were very open with them. You offered them some trust and sharing things. And so it leads to just far less surprises. And it gives us an opportunity to communicate more effectively and intimately with people when we're going through tough times. You know, so when I stand up in front of a group and have to tell them, you know, we're laying off some employees or we're going through some tough changes, you know, it's uncomfortable for me. And what makes it feel a little bit better is that I know that I've connected with a lot of people on an individual basis and they know my intentions and they know the tone that I set and they know my values, my personal values. And so when I stand up there, up here in front of them, you know, they know it's genuine and they also know they can come to me and talk to me about anything I've said. And so it, it just opens the door both ways um, and allows a little more comfort when you're having to, to have those, you know, more difficult conversations or receive difficult feedback. Um, it just makes that whole situation a lot better. And I think the more disconnected you are from the organization, the more difficult it is to have those conversations you know so i do it i do it by you know just literally the the idea of touching more people sort of management by walking around but those specific things of buying people lunch is a big deal in fact um anytime that i don't have lunch plans and there's a gap in my calendar i walk the hallways and <laughs> and i'll say i'm troll i'm trolling for lunch dates <laughs> and, um, and yesterday i found two two uh lawyers who I ended up going to lunch with me and we got to talk about life and work and all sorts of things. But again, um, just take that opportunity to go connect with folks who you don't connect with all the time because that's what keeps you in a more broader sense connected to your organization. Well, Jack in the Box certainly sounds like a very fun place to work. And what I want to say is what's so important about what you're doing, first of all, is you're honoring these people that are executing on the strategy every day, right? The hard work and the heavy lifting. But also there's lots of research that's showing the higher up leaders go, the more that the people that report to the leaders keep away all the bad news. And you had talked about an IT situation where it wasn't quite 
going right. And then you were able to hear from people who were actually in the trenches saying, here's why it's not going right. And you were able to resolve it, but you would have never known about it had you not had these conversations where you were, you were able to build trust and then people shared with you what was going on. So it could be resolved to a positive outcome. You're, you're absolutely right. And that was a very specific case, but that, I, I mean, I can tell you that almost every week I have a situation like that where someone will talk about, you know, Hey, we haven't, we haven't received certain communication or maybe a project's going astray, or maybe something needs a little bit more leadership or resources associated with it. I'm getting that type of feedback all the time. And it is because there's some connective tissue there and, you know, people aren't complaining. And oftentimes they'll even come to you and say, Hey, I'm not asking for you to do anything about it. I'm just telling you how things are going, but I got this, but still I learn in that moment. Right. And I can at least at the senior level, make sure that they're supported in the things that they're trying to do. So I think we overcomplicate things as leaders and, you know, and oftentimes just like parents, we, we overcomplicate things. And you know what, what the folks that that care about you and the company really want is they just want to have that connection and if you'll just put in a little bit of effort i think you'll be rewarded for it in the form of open dialogue honest communication and the avoidance of surprises yeah i love it and i'm thinking you think you have a lot of people reporting to you he has 22,000 so i think <laughs> Lenny Kama can make the time, certainly you can as well as a leader. So between the Jack in the Box Foundation, your commitment to diversity and inclusion, plus your ferocious focus on making sure your stakeholders are better off because they belong to the Jack in the Box community, are significant examples of you living the role of CEO as social activists. And what I'd like to do is kind of wrap this up with a recent quote I just read in the Upserve Restaurant Insider.com website, which is a, not many CEOs could say this. If you look at the history of our company, we have endless stories of people who went from first time workers or immigrants to multimillionaires, franchisees, directors of operations. So Lenny Kama, thank you for showing how as CEO, you are leading with making positive social change and the promise to deliver meaningful impact on all of your stakeholders at Jack in the Box. Thank you, much appreciated. It's been a wonderful journey. <laughs> yeah, for everyone. And me too, because I love the uh, shakes there at Jack in the Box. <laughs> 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 so, of course, check out the menu, anyone who's listening. But to find out about Lenny Kama and Jack in the Box Incorporated, go to www.jackinthebox.com forward slash responsibility forward slash community and get inspired by their progress on diversity and inclusion, plus their investments helping children and at-risk youth. To listen to more podcasts like this, please visit macaulayandco.com forward slash podcast. You can also check out our online blueprint for high-performing leaders program. And to learn more about critical board issues, challenges, and solutions like those Lenny talked about in today's podcast. Or if you want to attend a meeting, go to www.directorsforum.com. Lenny, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to talk with you and talk about this subject. And, you know, I hope that anyone who's listening will take an opportunity to, you know, just connect with the people around them, make them feel valued and included. And I think that 
the uh, the direct outcome of that will be that you will sort of draw the diversity of thought throughout your organization into the appropriate conversations and the problem-solving activities that happen. So best of luck to everyone. And until next time, we wish you the best on positively impacting the organizations you lead.